We're in our series called Symbols. We're doing this because there are places in Scripture in which God has said, I want you to do something or I'm creating something to help you remember something significant that I have done. Now we began with the rainbow. And if you'll remember, the story of redemption begins in Genesis. And in Genesis, God shows us that because that sin has entered into the world, we deserve his wrath. And in fact, he said, he looked over the face of the earth and everybody's mind was on evil and on sinful things continually. And he set his mind to wipe out humanity and every living creature from the face of the earth with a flood. But he looked down upon Noah and Noah found favor with God. Through Noah, we were able to be delivered from this war that God declared on humanity because of our sinfulness. And God said, I will never do this again. And he placed his bow, if you remember, in the sky. Not just the pretty little rainbow that we think about, but as we understand the language in which they were writing, he took his war bow and hung it up. No longer aiming at us, but instead he said, I will, no, I will never again wipe you off the face of the earth like I have done. That changed the way God was going to work with his creation. Then we looked at the tabernacle and how much God's presence is with us. In the Old Testament, God followed up the symbol of the rainbow with the exodus from Egypt, which we're going to spend a little more time today talking about. And part of that, he gave Moses instructions for a tabernacle, which as we looked at the details of the tabernacle, in some ways mimicked the Garden of Eden, demonstrating God saying, now not only am I not going to wipe you out, I am going to begin a process of re-engaging you and restoring you for how I originally created you. So God's presence came to travel with them in the Holy of Holies of the tabernacle. We looked at the Ten Commandments last week where the law was not meant simply to be a list of boundaries to make you prove your devotion to God. But instead, God was saying, if I'm going to restore you, this is what it looks like to live restored. However, we could not fulfill living through the law. And so out of the law, we remember that God intended for us to see what life would have been like had we not fallen from sin. And now if we are going to be restored through our own effort, this is how we would do it. Today, we're going to be talking about the Passover because it has implications both for the Old and the New Testament. Now, just we're not going to go through all of the story of the Exodus, but if you remember the story, the nation of Israel has been enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt. Pharaoh has been very difficult on them. God raised up Moses and said, I have heard the cries of my people who are just being oppressed, and I want you to go out and deliver them. Tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses said, no, I can't do that. Who am I to do that? But through a series of plagues, through a series of, uh, of problems that he gave to uh, Pharaoh and all of the Egyptians, he finally would let them go after the final plague. And this is where we're going to pick it up. The final time that Moses went up to Pharaoh and said, you must let my people go, he said, if you don't, terrible things are going to happen. And those terrible things were that the firstborn of every, pers- every family in Egypt would be killed. Now, so here's where I want you to understand as we enter this. 
The nation of Israel had been enslaved by Egypt for hundreds of years, and the Egyptians were harsh and cruel to them. This is the place where they were oppressed. Have you ever been in a place in your life where you feel that life is not going well? Anyone? If you've ever been in a place in your life, and we're not equating some of the things in our lives to the oppression of slavery over hundreds of years. However, you do likely know how it feels to be overwhelmed and to feel crushed. Just not on that level. This is where God meets the Egyptians. We looked at God turning away his wrath through the symbol of the rainbow. And what we see in Exodus is God beginning our ultimate rescue through the rescue from the Egyptians. Now, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Exodus most of today. We're going to be jumping into the, into the New Testament um, here in just a few minutes. But Exodus chapter 12 is where we're going to begin. And let me just, before I move forward, we've got someone new running slides today. Would you all say thank you to Chad? Chad's up there doing a good job. He's probably sweating bullets, but he's doing a great job. He's doing a great job. Exodus 12, verse 21 says, Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin. Touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of this house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood on the lintel and the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Now, for those of you who don't know the story, the final plague in which Pharaoh finally said, go, was a plague in which the nation of Israel sacrificed a lamb, took the blood, painted their doorposts, and that night, the destroyer, an angel of death, went through all of Egypt, and every house that did not have the Passover lamb's blood on their doorpost, it would enter into that house, and the firstborn of that family would be killed. Created great anguish in the whole nation of Egypt. And yet anyone of the nation of Israel that had painted their doorpost was spared. That's why they call it the Passover, because the destroyer came to their house, saw the blood on the lintel, and passed over that house and went to the next house. Now, if you're a follower of Scripture, you know that the Passover is going to eventually become communion or the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper, depending on where you read about it or what your tradition is. Jesus is going to take this Passover experience and he's going to translate that into not just deliverance from Egypt, but this is going to be the deliverance from sin and death for all of eternity. 
So that's what the Passover is the beginning of. But in order for us to understand the significance of what Jesus is saying, we've got to understand the significance of the Passover, how it developed, and how it got to the place where Jesus changed its meaning. The Passover in and of itself, what it demonstrates to us is not just a place because sometimes when we come in and take communion and we do this, it is a time when we just come and we go through the motions and we think, oh, that bread was good or boy, that juice was good or boy, that juice was not good. I joke about the time I thought I picked up grape juice from the store and it was juicy juice. And I'll tell you what, juicy juice is not grape juice. All right. It does not taste the same. Everybody's like, what is, what is this? And uh, some of our brothers and sisters in other traditions will actually use wine. We use grape juice for a variety of reasons. Um, And there are different ways that they celebrate this today. But it is very easy to go through the motions of communion and miss the greater significance, which is why Jesus told us to continue this practice. God himself told the nation of Israel, this practice of the Passover, you will continue forever. The deliverance from Egypt required great sacrifice. Great sacrifice. I want you to remember that. If we jump back to where they're describing what this Passover meal is going to look like, it's actually in the preceding verses in Exodus 12. And it says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you, Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, in in other words, they don't own any lambs. They can't take a lamb. They don't have any. If the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male a year old. You may take it from the sheep and or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of the month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. In Jewish tradition, twilight was the end of the day. When night came, darkness came, that was the beginning of the next day. So what he's saying is, we think of, you know, the next day doesn't come till 12 a.m. For them, the next day begins once darkness falls. So twilight is the end of a day, the end of the time. And it was to remind them of the time that they made the sacrifice before the destroyer would come. When the whole is, uh, so I should kill their lambs at twilight. Verse 7, then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. I want you to remember this. They shall take some of the blood, put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the house in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted in the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Verse 9, do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. And you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. 
For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Now, this is how Passover began. Some of you, how many of you are familiar with the the Seder meal? You've heard of that? How many of you have experienced the Seder meal before? Okay, a few of you have. The Seder meal would come later and was developed from what the Passover began as. But when we read the instructions for the Passover, literally the Passover meant you would take an unblemished lamb or goat, and if you didn't have enough, if you didn't have a lamb or a goat in your family, then you would literally kind of team up with another family. And because part of the tradition was you would eat that lamb once it was roasted, just make sure you have enough for everybody. And you would come once a year for this sacrifice, remembering that Jesus had delivered you from Egypt. So you wouldn't just come and sit back and sit in your comfortable clothes, which is what we like to do at our house, and just kind of eat whenever, sit on the couch, watch some TV. Instead, you were to be fully clothed, have your belt on. It's the end of the day. Normally, you would be unwinding. You're going to have your staff in your hand because what they are remembering is the moment that Pharaoh said, now you go, and the nation of Israel had to go right then. There was urgency and following God in this moment that he is providing for them freedom. And you would take the lamb and you would roast it and you would take bitter herbs and you would take unleavened bread and this was your Passover meal. So if you've celebrated a Seder before, the Seder goes far in depth more than what is commanded in Exodus. And I'll explain that in just a few minutes why that is. It was all to remember God was rescuing you. Have you ever been rescued from something? When you know you've been rescued from something, it is not something you soon forget. I don't mean rescued from boredom. I mean rescued. (laughs) Things were not going well. You're at the end of your rope. You're not sure how much farther you can go. And then there's a rescue. Sometimes that rescue is a hand, someone that comes alongside of you. Sometimes that rescue is a word that God whispers in your ear and you're encouraged. Sometimes that rescue is a change of perspective and you're no longer enslaved to some other way of seeing the world. God releases you to see the world as he does. For all of us who call him our Savior and our Lord, we have all been rescued to this degree and that we now are no longer fearful of God's judgment over our sin. Because Jesus has borne our punishment for us. We have been rescued. This rescue was significant. That's why the New Testament talks about Jesus being our, great, our pearl of great price. The great treasure buried in a field in which we would sell everything, give everything away that we have so we can have this field, so we can have this treasure, because that treasure is greater than anything else in the world. It is the greatest rescue because we recognize our lives are forever changed. Jesus has done that for us. No, they had not experienced that. For them, the rescue was from Egypt. They were brought into a new land. Eventually, they would be brought into the promised land in which they would flourish and at times suffer. And as they did this, every single year, they would practice the Passover to remember after hundreds of years being enslaved, God came to our rescue 
The yearly practice of the Passover was meant to remind the nation of Israel that God had come to their aid and given them freedom. This is so crucial. So what did the symbols mean? You have the lamb, which was that which was requiring to be sacrificed for freedom. The lamb was going to be involved. When we think of the New Testament, the lamb is who? Jesus. He becomes the sacrificial lamb so that we can have our freedom. The blood on the doorpost represents also that sacrifice and that there was something violent that took place. Scripture says the wages of sin is death. The wages to to move from Egypt was death. And so they would put blood on the doorpost to remember that. They also took unleavened bread. Do you know why? It was to remind them of what? Somebody said it. Manna. Because as they entered into the desert, amazingly enough, after hundreds of years of being enslaved, after the Pharaohs being cruel to them, whipping them, beating them, even becoming so cruel as to doubling, making them double production and removing their supplies so that they couldn't possibly meet that production. They started wandering the desert and they got hungry. And they thought, maybe we should go back. If you haven't read through the story of Exodus, it's an incredible story. And they begin to grumble against Moses. And they said, at least we got to eat back in Egypt. At least we had a home back in Egypt. And then God provided them in such a special way that every morning they would wake up and there was this flaky substance, which I don't know. We, talk, we think of it as unleavened bread. When, you, when I read about it, I kind of gag a little bit, you know. This flaky substance that just appeared on the ground and they would gather it up as much as they could eat. And amazingly enough, they, they were commanded, don't take too much. Like, don't take extra. Like, you know, we're going to, you know, we've got a tailgate party for UT, you know, basketball later. Well, I guess we don't. Yes, we don't. Sorry. Too soon. Too soon. Don't take extra because on the next day, whatever they had kept over from the day before, it would spoil. It would ruin. It was gone. So they only collected whatever they could eat except before the Sabbath. Because they weren't supposed to collect on the Sabbath. And they would actually collect enough to get them through the Sabbath. And it would last until the next day. God provided for them. So the unleavened bread represents the manna in which God had provided when they came out of Egypt and were hungry. The bitter herbs that they would take were understood as they would eat these bitter herbs They would eat them and they would remember slavery was bitter. Oppression was bitter. Being a captive was terrible. It would remind them of what they had been saved from. What we know, as we've already said together, is that Jesus would become the Passover lamb for our eternal rescue. Now, like all things that we of humanity get involved in, we tend to take things and want to add stuff to them. When we look at the original Passover meal, that was it. The lamb, bitter herbs, unleavened bread. But yet when they moved into the temple, they began to expand this tradition. Now this would be practiced once a year, not regularly. We do communion at least once a month. 
Some, some church traditions do it every single Sunday, and some people do it even more often than that. But in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel would practice the Passover once a year. That's it. And it became such a thing that you didn't do it at home. If you lived somewhere outside of the area of Jerusalem, you would travel. You would have a pilgrimage to Jerusalem once a year, and you would come, bring your family, and you would sacrifice a lamb there in, at the temple in Jerusalem. Which is interesting, this is exactly what was happening when Jesus overturned the money changers in the temple. Because this was at the Passover time, the annual time in which they would celebrate this. These pilgrims were coming in, and if you've been with us for a while, you know, we've talked a little bit about history. There, there was not a common monetary exchange there. Every region had its own way of spending money, had its own form of money. And so when they would come into Jerusalem, you know, they, it wouldn't match. Like if you lived in an area that took dollars, then that's all you wanted was dollars. You didn't want some other, you know, currency. And so they had these people that would exchange money like our banks do today. And what they were doing was they weren't giving them enough. They were shortchanging them. And they would use this money to buy their sacrifice and they would use this money to take care of their families whenever they were going through the Passover. And it angered Jesus. So that when he came in, he saw you are not allowing them to celebrate the Passover. You are taking their money. And that's one of the instances in which we see Jesus overturning the tables, fashioning a whip and going at them. Because he says, you have taken my temple and made it a place for robbers. This was Passover. This is what happened. Those items that were part of the Passover meal would be added to because, hey, it's good to remember bitter herbs, but you know what? We can do better. And if you look at the Seder meal, the Seder meal is a large number of items that take you through. It's a beautiful thing. Don't hear me misunderstand me. It is a beautiful picture, but it is not what God had commanded them. But they would take them through the whole process of the deliverance from Egypt through a number of different pieces of food and drink. It was, it's an amazing experience if you've not been through it. But that happened later. Not that Jesus said this is, or God said this is, I want you to do it. This is how it developed over time within the church. It's one of the reasons that when we look at communion today, whether you do it once a year, once a month, once a week, every day, that's up to a lot of interpretation. However you want to do it, because Scripture doesn't tell us how often you're supposed to do it. The Passover meal happened once a year, annually. So as we look at this story, and this is what they celebrated for hundreds of years, all the way up, and some still do, Jews still do. Practicing Jewish people still practice the Passover. They are still doing that to this day. Christians did it until that moment in the history of our faith, until Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper with his disciples on the last Passover before he would be crucified. Two day, or the day before. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and 8 says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. You remember leaven can mean a lot of different things. Leaven can mean sin, evil. Leaven can just mean a teaching. There are lots of things. Leaven can mean arrogance. Leaven can mean a lot of different things. It doesn't mean sin in every time that you read it. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. 
Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now we read about this transition, this change in in Matthew chapter 26 and some other places. Verse 17, it says, Now on the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? It's that time of year. This is Maundy Thursday. He said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover. For them, there's a lot of disagreement. Does that mean they were preparing the Seder? Were this a Seder meal? Or was this more of the traditional Passover meal as they celebrated in the beginning? A lot of uncertainty, lots of imagery that points it was likely a Seder meal. And they were going to prepare it, which does take time. Verse 20, when it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after the other, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The son of man goes as it is written to him. But woe to that man of whom the son of man is betrayed. Would have been better if that man had not been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, you have said so. This is the moment in which Judas is leaving and he is going out to betray Jesus. Verse 26, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. Now, this would have been a significant moment for the disciples because they, their entire lives and their, their parents before them and their families before them and before them and before them, they'd celebrated the Passover. And Jesus says these incredible words. He says, now, the unleavened bread doesn't represent manna. The unleavened bread represents my body that has been supplied for you. And, and the wine or the grape juice or whatever the tradition is, that is no longer symbolizes the blood of the lamb so that you would be released from Egypt. It symbolizes my blood that's being shed for you. And he changes the meaning for them. Now, if you'll remember, when they were commanded to follow the Passover, they were told, you'll do this forever. You will not stop celebrating the Passover, which for us as believers would be very odd to be thinking about our deliverance from Egypt when now we've been delivered from sin. So Jesus isn't abolishing the Passover. What he's demonstrating is, is back in Exodus, when you were taken out of Egypt, God was beginning your restoration process to free you to the moment now where I'm providing you with the ultimate freedom, the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate place where you no longer have to fear or worry, but instead... I am giving myself for you. 
Paul writes about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. He says, I have received from the Lord that I also deliver to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me, which is, will become an important phrase. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying the cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until it, till he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord, which is a very interesting thing to say because he knew how we tend to add things. We added to the Passover meal to create the Seder. We will add to this, which we'll eventually call the Eucharist. We add to that to do it more often than annually. And he's saying some people will just do add to that. You know what we should really do whenever we get together and celebrate the Passover? We should have a party. I mean like a big party and bring some substances. <laughs> we should really, really eat good. And you know, we'll talk about Jesus, but man, let's just have some fun. That's what he's talking about in verse 27. Whoever, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and the drink and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you, listen to this, that is why many of you who are weak and ill and some have died. You know what he's saying here? Some of you have not taken this seriously and that's why you've gotten sick and that's why some people have died. Wow. I'll tell you right now, I would be for the annual observance if there was a chance I was going to die if I had a wrong heart towards it, right? Let's not do this every week. That's too many chances for me to get it wrong. His point in this is take this seriously. Do not gloss over this. Do not just do this like everything else you do in your life. Take this seriously. This is, we're talking about life. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about the ultimate rescue, the greatest treasure. Take this seriously. Verse 33, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Don't hurry through it. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. Don't come and chow down. Man, I don't know who made God's body today, but man, this is good. I'm going to have some more. This wine, man, pour me another. I really want to identify with Jesus right now with my fifth glass of wine. That's what people were doing. He says, if you're hungry, eat before you come. If you're thirsty, drink before you come because this is about Jesus. This is not about a party. This is about remembering something significant, important. It changed all of history. So when you come together, it will not be for judgment. By the other things, I will give directions when I come. He goes on for some other things. This is where the Passover becomes communion, or the Lord's Supper, or the Last Supper, depending on your reading. 
And if you've ever heard in different traditions them call something the Eucharist, this is the Eucharist in Catholic, Anglican, Episcopalian, and some other Methodist and other denominations in which it literally means to give thanks to who, do you think? Christ. It's in there. (laughs) Eucharist. To give thanks to Christ. That's what this is. When we take communion and we come up and we take the bread or we dip it in the juice, we are remembering what Jesus has done for us. Now some again have taken this and taken it further than it was necessarily demonstrated in Scripture. It is really for me, if this is the way you want to read it, that's fine. As long as you understand this is about Jesus. In two different ways that churches understand this. You don't need this necessarily unless you just are a, like to study more things. But I want you to know this because it helps us understand our brothers and sisters of different traditions. But there are some that believe that a priest must or pastor must pray over the bread and the juice. And in that moment, it actually the essence of the wine and the bread becomes the body and, flesh, body and blood of Jesus. Now, not physically, like it's now fleshy and, you know, wine tastes like blood. That would be not fun. But in essence, this is called transubstantiation. There are many traditions that follow this. This It's one of the reasons we have a a Baptist, Presbyterian, Methodist churches. This is one of the reasons that Martin Luther nailed his thesis to the wall. It was because there was a time that the priest then withheld communion from everyone but a priest. In that tradition, there were places where you could not become a priest unless you knew that when you prayed over the elements, their essence had been transformed into the body and blood of Jesus. And when they do that, then those elements do not simply become a symbol and which causes us to remember uh, you have to care for these things carefully. A friend of mine pastor down the road at, at our uh, neighborhood Anglican church, they, they literally will not pour out their wine or their juice, whichever they're using that day, because that would dishonor the blood of Christ. And so they actually will consume all that there is together, not a big drunken party, but they have different ways of viewing that. For us, we view it in a more sacramental view. The sacramental view means to remember. What I want us to do for the remaining of our time together is I want us to take communion together in a little different way than we've done it so far. But not just for us to go through the motions, but for us to take just a few moments in preparation of our hearts. So I want us to enter into these next few minutes with just a time of meditation and prayer. This is about Jesus and not about us. It's a moment for us to remember what he has done. So if you just bow your heads with me. As I prompt you and give you a few moments for you just to pray and to remember together, you can do that. Remember That this sacrifice was necessary for your freedom. I want you to thank Christ for his sacrifice so that we could have the forgiveness of sins.
Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Like eating the bitter herbs, I want you to remember the life that you lived before you knew Christ. Remember what you have been rescued from. Hopelessness. Emptiness. Loneliness. Controlled by sin. Very small world. No hope for anything better to come. Ephesians 2 says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. If you need a moment just to... A moment of confession... To recognize the great gift we've received and yet we still struggle to follow Him and holiness and mercy towards others and loving as He has loved us. Take a moment to just clear your heart, to take the weight off of your shoulders, confess and let Jesus take those away through His blood. All right, we're going to go ahead and we're going to take communion a little differently today. I'm going to ask if Josh and Tommy and Scott will come forward. Here's what we're going to do today. Some, some things similar, some things a little different. When they would take the Passover meal, when they would take communion together, Christians have taken this very seriously. Our brothers and sisters around the world throughout the ages have con- Continued this same practice. And not only would they go through the motions, but they would, through their hearts, remember what Christ had done for them. There's going to be three, three stations that you can come to, and you'll just walk up. They are going to break off a piece of the bread and hand it to you, and they will say some combination of different things. It could be this do in remembrance of Him. This is His body which was broken for you. As you take this, don't simply go through the motions. 
Jesus wanted us to remember this because this is the most foundational moment of all eternity for us. Don't take it in guilt and shame. This is not the intent in which he intended for us to be a part of communion. But take it with thanksgiving and hope and excitement and appreciation for what he has done for us. As you take this, we're going to all come at one time. So you just make your way around. If you'd like to pray, there are places around the room. You can just stop and pray before you come. If you feel you need to say something to God or prepare yourself for a few more moments before coming forward, you can do that. In these next few minutes, let us not just take communion, but let us remember and proclaim his death until he comes again. Father, God, I thank you that your love for us spanned our sin and our shame, our guilt. We all went astray. And Father, you have sought us out. You have brought us to a place where we can be healed. You you have taken that which was good and you created us to be incorrupted, incorruptible, and yet we were corrupted through sin. And yet, instead of wiping us off the face of the planet, you said, I am here with you. I am coming for you. And through the life, through the body and through the blood of Jesus Christ, you conquered sin for us. We were unable to come to you to face you. We were unable to even understand how good you were and how far we had fallen. And yet you chose to bring us back. I thank you for this gift to us. We thank you for this gift to remember and for this symbol for us to repeatedly enter into. Let us enter into it every single time with seriousness, with thanksgiving, with hope, and at times with brokenness. As you seek to heal us and mend us back to the place where you had created us to walk with you. I thank you for your presence that was with those of old through the tabernacle and then the temple. I thank you for your presence as it has come to live within us and so that through the Holy Spirit we are with you. You are with us all the time. And I thank you that you are coming back to finish this completely. For now, as we look out and we try to see all that you are doing It is still difficult for us to comprehend because we are still looking as through a mirror dimly lit. But the time is coming when it will be crystal clear. It will be perfectly clear when Jesus returns and let us be faithful and be found faithful until that moment. We thank you for your love and your grace. Amen. As we finish up this morning, take some moments to give thanks to God for this great gift in which He has given us. As you leave this place, as you see the sun in the sky, you see the trees in bloom, as you smell the clean air, give thanks for what God has given us. 
Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, While we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. God shows his love for you and that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Thank God that your freedom is eternal. That you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. You are not still toting all the things that you used to carry behind you. Let it go. Be restored. Be renewed. And let the Holy Spirit move in you in a way that maybe you don't even believe is possible. Experience His presence. What would it look like if the living God's presence was fully living within you? What would change for you? This is what we remember at communion. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Finally, we say commit to fully live as this new creation in Christ. Ephesians 4.24 To put on the new self created after the likeness of God. That is who you are as a follower of Jesus. In true righteousness and holiness, let us pursue these things and live holy lives. And I will tell you that we as a congregation will continue to remember this until Jesus comes again. As we close with our in worship, if you'd like to come and continue to pray, whether it be a prayer of, for help, a prayer of thanksgiving, a prayer of appreciation, whatever it would be, you're welcome to come and pray. If you'd like someone to pray with you, we have those that will come alongside and just quietly pray with you. And whatever you need in this moment, let us worship Him because He is worthy. Father, thank You. This moment that we can be together and we can celebrate this gift. Forgive us when we become so closed-minded in which we cannot even see you at work. We question whether or not you're real. God, let us remember these things did happen. We have experienced a filling of your spirit within our hearts. Father, we have seen you and the world is different now for us. Thank you for rescuing the nation of Israel, for beginning the process of restoration for us. Thank you for sending your son for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you that you told us to remember as a reminder that you will never forget. Father, let us leave this place full of your spirit, hopeful for what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.